addition to caring for one another, having an elder team that cares for one another, having you all as a church that cares for one another, we're part of a larger network of churches called Acts 29. And Acts 29 is a network that plants churches and has been really crucial in the, the genesis and ongoing support and development of Midtree. Will is a part of a cohort of pastors that are in the southeast. They meet, I think it's quarterly or maybe a little more frequently, thereabouts, um, to support one another, to be peer-to-peer -peer support in the process of leading and developing new church plants. And occasionally, that means that one of those pastors will have to kind of pinch hit for another. So there's a possibility, depending on the situation in the Hawk family, that, that we may call upon one of those guys to come in and pinch hit for us in the next week or two as well. So just want to make you aware of that, um, that these are the things that are going on in the life of the church. And a church is not unlike any one of us as individuals. There are always ups, there are downs, there are events that are sometimes outside of our control. But um, with God's help, we make it through. So with that, um, I was, I was literally on a phone call, what was it, about 12.30, Stokes, I can't, I don't know where you are, but 12.30, and we're on the phone trying to decide what do we do about service, we got some options, and um, kind of decide what would be best for one of us to do kind of a little mini sermon devotional um, as part of the, tonight's service. And so first thing I thought of, I mean, immediately, I, 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 Spirit of God, I don't know what it is, I, you can put that image up, Bruner, this is kind of what I thought of, and, um, you know, uh, hopefully this is not reflective of my comments that are about to follow or the word, God's word that we're going to look at. That looks a little bit confused. It looks kind of ugly. There's not much order, but hopefully we can make something out of that. And if you want to find out what that is or what that means or what we're talking about, you're going to have to stay awake for the next 10 or 15 minutes. So um, what I'd like to do, though, first, I am going to uh, read out of the book of Romans, and it's really kind of interesting that Thomas chose Romans for our call to worship. He and I had no pre-conversation or, or talk about this. God just worked that out. So I'm going to read from uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. And if you'll put that up for me, Nick, we'll read through that. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So if you would bow your heads, let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth that is uh, embodied in your word. Thank you for this scripture. Father, thank you for this congregation and uh, for this time that we have. Father, I pray that the, the words that would be heard would not be mine, Father, but the truths of the scriptures, that the frailty and um, uh, limited ability of, of myself, of the speaker, would not take away from the message that you would have people to hear, a message of hope in the glory of Christ. And it's in your name we pray. So this 
passage of Scripture, chapter 8, comes after chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the turmoil chapter in, in Romans, right? This is Paul's great theological treatise. It's a book that we were talking about briefly before service. Churches spend years going over the book of Romans because it is so weighty. And chapter 7 is that chapter that a lot of us readily identify with. It's the chapter where Paul talks about his personal turmoil, the power of sin versus his desire to do good. And he concludes, and, and the answer and the proclamation and the, the hope is that there is, therefore, in the person of Jesus Christ, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 8, further on, he begins to talk a little bit about who we are as heirs of Christ, as sons of the, and daughters of the living God. And so there are three things, as I read through this passage, and I thought about the events that led up to me sitting here on the stage today, that I wanted to pass along to you. And, and we'll look first at uh, the scriptures from Romans 8, 12 through 14. If you'll put those back up, Nick, that'd be helpful. And I'm going to read it real briefly. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. My first point is that we need, you and I, as we try to make it through the, the affairs of everyday life, as we try to make it through the difficulties, and, and let me be clear, I'm sitting up here because of some difficulties in the life of, of Will and his family, but as I look across the congregation, the, Will's family is not the only one dealing with this. We know as elders, we talk to some of y'all, some of y'all are dealing with the same issues in your family. Some of you are dealing with not only aging parents and, and the, the issue of end of life decision making, but with other family members who are sick, you're dealing with relationship issues. You're dealing with the death, perhaps, of, of very close and personal relationships. You're dealing with financial difficulties. You're dealing with all of the normal, everyday issues that, that come to us as we live life, as we as humans walk on the face of the earth. But there's two ways you can approach all of those things. You can approach them according to the flesh, or you can approach them according to the spirit. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time in the flesh. And what do we mean by that? The flesh is what I do when I wake up in the morning and I check the weather. And then I read the news. And then I think about the number of patients I've got to see and the doctor who called out and how that's going to impact my schedule. And then how am I going to get home in time to help with the dinner I promised I would help with or the other events of next week. Or what about my... Um, uh, child's birthday and the planning for that event coming up, or I'm buying a new house and I think I've got enough to cover the mortgage and to get it where we want to have enough money put in the house. These are the things that occupy our time. And we need information to make good decisions. There is nothing wrong with that. Data is good. You need good information to figure out where you're headed. Um, some of you, we've, I've talked with a couple of people this week, you're trying to make career choices. You're getting out of the military, and you're trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? Or you are finishing up an educational term, what do I do with my life? But then there are others, you're trying to think about, well, life has gotten tough, and so maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need a change of geography. Maybe I need a change of career path. I need to do something to shake this up because it's become really difficult. I can tell you, as one who has made the mistake, making those decisions in the flesh through human wisdom has its limitations. In about 19, this is going to seem a long time ago for some of you guys, 1980, where's Anne-Marie, 88, 
No, sorry, it was 1991. 1991, we were trying to figure out where to go. Finished my residency, needed a job. We decided not to move back to Houston. I had a potential faculty job there and just wasn't right. And we spent some time trying to figure out what to do. And in human wisdom, mainly me, but we decided to move to uh, Tennessee, took a job there. And about a year and a half later, we were looking for another job. And the reason that happened is because we used all the information available. I looked at the demographics of the city, the number of ophthalmologists, the salary that was being offered, the benefits, the opportunities, and all of those things. And we prayed some about it, but that's how we made that decision. We made it through um, kind of human information. And, and unfortunately, you know, it was not the right decision. And I look back, and, and at the time, I thought, gee, there's two years of my life wasted. And, and in retrospect, it was not wasted. God used that time. However, there probably was a better, in, in fact, there was a better way. And we did, we, you know, the, after that year and a half and understanding, we spent a lot of time before the next decision, um, which was ultimately to come here. And 30 or so years later, has been proven to be a good and a wise decision led by the Spirit of God. So we need to lead. My first point to you is that we need to live our lives led by the Spirit of God. We don't need to live our lives by what we see, but by him who we know, him in whom we can place our trust, who will lead us appropriately. And that does not always mean that it's going to be the, the wisest or seemingly wisest of human decisions. Um, and as I thought about it, I thought, well, that's nice to say, right? Yeah, don't, don't live your life, you know, based on human wisdom, but you live your life led by the Spirit of God. Well, how do you do that? And I thought that I think there's, I'm, you know, I've been taking notes. I've got three points tonight. I've got three sub points under this one, right? So I'm kind of a good preacher in training. My three sub points for you are how do you do that? One, there, there, there are only really three ways to be led by the Spirit of God. You and I, we must spend time in the Word of God. God speaks to us through His Word. And if we are not spending time in the Word of God, then the truths of that of God's Word are not available to us. So you and I, we've got to spend time in the Word of God. The second way that we do that is by um, prayer, communion with the, the person of God Himself. And, um, and I'll, I'll tell you a, a brief story. About, I don't know how many years, two to three years ago, I took a figurative hammer to social media, to Facebook and Instagram and whatever else that I had kind of gotten talked into or, or let myself kind of get into because I was spending way too much time looking at things that ultimately had no real lasting value. And so I, I deleted all that stuff from my phone and, and, and found, tried, do, do my best. Look, none of us are perfect, right? But to spend a little more time with the person of God, spending more time in prayer, in the word of God and with the person of God. That story doesn't end. About a week and a half ago, um, I took a literal hammer to my iPad, and um, it was both satisfying and also a little frustrating. Thomas, I know it's hard to believe, but I smashed it into about four pieces. And, and what had happened was I had begun to replace Facebook and Instagram with news and with information and the injury report, report for the LSU Tigers, who's hurt for the upcoming game, and, and all the stuff that is interesting, and there's nothing evil or sinful about it, but it had begun to rob me of the time that I needed to be in God's word and in prayer with a person of God. 
And if you're honest with yourself, if you're anything like me, your time is limited. You've, many of you are younger than I am. You have kids, you have jobs, you have school, you have all the things that, we, that by design or just by the way life is, they fill up our lives. And so we have to take active measures. God doesn't call us to be passive in our lives of faith. Have to take active measures to spend time in the word of God and spend time in prayer with God. And then the third way that you are led by the Spirit of God is by honest communication with another fellow member of the family of God. And that doesn't mean your buddy who's just going to say, hey, bud, how's it going? Let's go play foosball. Or, hey, let's go play tennis or around the golf. How's it going? Y'all doing okay? Yeah, we're good. Now, these are people who are going to ask you the penetrating question. who are going to ask you, are you really doing what you set out to do when you got married? Are you intentional in developing your marriage relationship? Are you intentional that you're not allowing your career to take over what you should be doing for the kingdom of God? So if you have not, seek someone out. You and I need other believers who are going to press and push and hold us accountable. So we need to live lives led by the Spirit of God in those ways. The next couple of verses, Romans 8, 15 through 17, if you'll put those up, Nick, lead me to my second point. It says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, or Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so my second point to you, not only must we live lives led by the Spirit of God, but we need to live our lives understanding whose child we are. Um, Will and I, I think, have talked about this. And about nine, I got my years mixed. About 1988, I lost my mom. My mom was an alcoholic. She died at age 49 of complications of alcoholism. I think I was 28 at the time. And, and in reality, I lost her in 1988, but I had lost her years before that. If you have, many of us do, you have disease, alcoholism, addiction in your family, you know that a parent who is an alcoholic is not much of a parent. And so for years, I had been searching for something. I'd been looking for the parents that I didn't have. And I saw good examples in some of my friends' parents, tried to spend time around them. But in reality, I finally realized through the Spirit of God that the only parent I could count on the only one who would not forsake me or leave me, the only one who will not forsake you or leave you is God our Father. And he is the one whom we cry, Abba or Father. Adoption carries with it, we've talked about this from this pulpit and others before, it carries with it all the legal rights and entitlements of birth children. You are a child of God. If you have believed in the person of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear, nothing to worry. And as parents in this room, I, I, I kind of did the opposite, right? I tried to be the best parent I could because I knew what it was like not to have good parents. But I'll look my children in the face, and I've done this, and I'll do it again and tell them, listen, I love you, I care for you. I will do everything in my power to be a good parent, but ultimately, I will fail you. There will be times where I will have to ask for your forgiveness, even though I do not desire that. And so I tell my children, you need to look to the person of God for your ultimate satisfaction, for your ultimate fulfillment, for the ultimate um, relationship that will carry you through the rest of your life. And so I'd encourage each of you, if you have not done that, 
that's something you need to do to remember whose child you are. If you have good parents, God bless you. If you don't, thank God that he is our parent. The, the second thing that that verse um, or that little passage, those couple of verses talks about is suffering with Christ. And as I thought through that, I realized, you know, there is nothing I can do to match the suffering of the Savior. But as I look at Jesus' perspective on suffering, and, and inevitably, remember, all of us will suffer. If you are over age 10, 11, 12, 13, you have already begun to realize that life involves suffering. There is no way around it. If you are a younger, younger, youngish, whatever person, and you have not had any significant suffering in life, then God bless you, but I hate to burst your bubble. The shoe will drop at some point. Life will hand you some real difficulties and some problems. That is just part of life. But Jesus did not see his suffering as the end result. Going to the cross was not the end game. Jesus saw through and past his suffering. And that's what we need to do. We need to understand that suffering is a part of life. That suffering is a part of our human lot in a sinful world. And we need to see through that and past that. That there is glory on the other side of suffering. If um, yeah, You can put that first picture back up. Anybody know what that first picture was? So I got a one head nod. So that's the back of a tapestry. Um, and this is worth a little rabbit trail. So the most beautiful tapestries in the world uh, are in the Vatican. They're in what's called the Gallery of Tapestries. And I have not personally been able to see them. I've seen pictures. Had a trip to go to Rome a few years ago, and it got canceled at the last minute. I won't go into the details, but you can ask my wife. And I was not able to go see these wonderful tapestries and the other things. And I hope to someday go there. These tapestries are incredible. These are tapestries that were made in the 1500s, commissioned, we're, I promise nothing's about to happen, uh, commissioned, oh, that's bright, commissioned by the emperor of the day in order to commemorate the life of Christ. There are 12 of these tapestries. The 12 together are 250 feet long, almost a football field. Tapestries were created on commission. There was one master artist who kind of designed them. And there were scores of Flemish artisans who worked on these tapestries. They used the, the loom of the day, which was huge. The loom has warps. Those are the little white threads going up and down that form the backbone of the tapestry. I'm sure there's a couple of women who weave in here. And then I think it's the wafts or the little strings you put in there. And you can have complete wafts that go all the way across or incomplete. And those threads are made of cotton or linen or wool or even metal. Silver and gold are used in these tapestries. And you had artisans, men who were paid for their time, an incredible amount of money to work on this thing. And a team of artisans, a tapestry the size of that wall there, they could make about a half a square yard working night and day in a month. It took years to fashion these tapestries. And they would do their work, and they would work on a section of the tapestry, and the master would look at it, and he'd go, start over. And they'd have to pull it all out. Their hands are calloused, and even the experienced ones always had cuts and, and injuries. They suffered through their work. But in the end, 
the glory of that tapestry was nothing compared to their suffering. Nick, let's look. This picture is not due justice. This is a tapestry that hangs in the gallery of tapestries, the resurrection of Christ. And it is incredible. It is about, like I said, the size of the wall. There are 250 more feet of these tapestries. But you and I, our lives may often look like the first picture I showed you, the back of the tapestry. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand. The threads are misshapen. We put them in. We have to take them out. We have to start over. But the master, the designer, the one who knows all, the one whom, if we will allow him to lead us in our lives, if we'll be led by his spirit, if we'll remember that we are his children, the promise of Romans 12, 18 is yours and mine. Romans 12, 18, go ahead and put it up, Nick, says, for I, I'm going to wait on you, yeah, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You and I, we're going to walk through difficulties in this life. But my third point, not only do you need to live led by um, the Spirit of God, not only do you need to live understanding whose child you are, but you and I need to live in light of eternity, not in light of today, tomorrow, not in light of the difficulties I'm facing in my job, the trauma of losing a parent, the difficulties I'm facing in financial um, shortfalls, but living in light of eternity, living in light of what God is doing, sanctifying your very soul through each of these things. And if we'll do that, if we'll allow the master to work in the tapestry of our lives, you and I one day can enjoy the glory of his presence. And so as we think about, and as we're thinking about this time today and the difficulties that Will and his family are facing, the difficulties I look at other faces in the congregation that you are faking, that you are, fa that you are facing, these are the words I hope would bring you some encouragement. That you and I, if we live our lives led appropriately, we live our lives understanding whose child we are and understanding that this is but a short and temporal time, that in light of eternity, these things are but blips on the radar, then you and I can understand and have the joy, know the joy of our Father.